If you brought your Bibles, you can open them to Mark chapter 5. We've been in a series walking through Mark, the essential gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark is the shortest gospel. Mark is the uh, is the writer, but the but the story comes from Peter. Uh, Peter is is telling his first hand account of Jesus, and Mark is is vigorously writing these things down, recording them for us, recording the story of Jesus for us, and. Uh, it says in Mark chapter 4, Jesus, the very words of Jesus, he says to his disciples, to you have, has been given, uh, you have been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. And, and this idea of mystery, of, of mysterious Jesus, uh, of, in Mark, uh, people respond to Jesus in two primary ways, with amazement, they're amazed, they're like, oh, they're, they're speechless, their jaws are dropped open, and they're terrified. And it happens at the exact same moment. Maybe you've experienced that moment. But that's the picture uh, Mark paints of Jesus. And, and in this center section where we're at right now, it, it revolves around two big questions. Um, uh, I think it's in chapter 4 and chapter 8. There, there are two big questions that are asked. Uh, last week, we talked about storm stories, and we read two of the stories of Jesus walking on water and Jesus calming the storm. And after Jesus calming, calms the storm, the disciples say, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. So the, the one bracket on the one side is the question, who is this man? And then at the end of this kind of center core section, Jesus himself will ask, who do people say? That I am. And in between is this mystery. Some people see it and get it, and some people don't see it. Some see it for a moment and then it, it slips away. And, and so we dive into uh, this, this story, this mystery of Jesus. And one of the things that Mark does in, in his gospel, maybe more than, than any other gospel, is um, it's kind of a sandwich or bracket stories together, almost like a Lego bricks. You know what I'm talking about? So Mark will take a story, and then he'll tag two more Lego bricks on that, and then he'll, he'll take two more stories and tag them on that so that, that he buries stories within stories, bracketing stories together. Uh, and, and it's a way of, of helping to draw attention to that center story. Here's some examples. Jesus tells uh, uh, in Mark, uh, when Jesus sends out his disciples, the story of sending them out is bracketed by Jesus being re rejected in his own hometown. So you have this contrast uh, of being rejected in his own hometown and, and sending out. There's this great other story where the Pharisees ask for a sign from Jesus. Jesus, they say, we'll, we'll believe in you if you'll just give us a sign. And so the Pharisees asking for that sign comes right between a story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And then immediately after that story, Jesus heals a blind man. And when the Pharisees in that middle story ask for a sign, Jesus says, you have eyes, why don't you see? And then what does Jesus do? Heals a blind man. You see how these stories all fit together. They work together to create more uh, deeper meaning. Uh, there's also a story of Jesus cursing a fig tree. And, and in one instance, he curses the fig tree. And then Jesus goes and he clears out the temple. You remember this story? with the He creates the whip and he drives out the money changer. And then he comes back to the fig tree. 
And the, the fig tree story brackets the temple story. So really, you can't understand what Jesus is doing in the temple without looking at this other, these other stories. You see how this works? So today, I want to look at, at a bracketed story related to two healing stories in Mark chapter 5. And so we're just going to work through this together, just slowly, just kind of move through this. We're going to see how these pieces fit together, give shape to each other, and add depth and meaning. In Mark, uh, in chapter 5, starting in verse 21, it says, Jesus got into the boat again. And if you are here last week, you know that's always a dangerous thing. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was, what's his name? Jairus arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he did something unexpected. He fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her. So she can live. All right, so we're getting the first bracket of a, of a story here, a first piece together. And we hear the story, we're introduced to a new character, the synagogue leader named Jarius. Um, and this is important to pay attention to who he is because as a leader of a synagogue, uh, we, we know a lot about him. We, we know he's one of the probably the most important and respected men in the community. Uh, we know that he, he probably has some measure of, of wealth. He's, he's definitely a prestigious man, a, a man that everyone in the community looks up to. And as the leader of the synagogue, he kind of organizes the worship and the teaching and everything. And, and, and he is at the center. If, if the synagogue is the center of the Jewish community, right? He is at the center of the center. He, he is at the center of the community, but he is not just a synagogue leader. We also learn that maybe even more importantly, he is a father. And he's a father of a very sick little girl. He says that uh, she's dying. Now, there's something that happens when, when kids are sick or kids are in the hospital or or, or kids are close to death. One of the one of the first student ministries I had. One of our teenagers, uh, he was about twelve or thirteen years old. Just didn't wake up one day. No health issues, nothing. Just didn't wake up. And and I mean, when that hits you, it's like it's somehow is is it worse when it's kids? You know what I'm saying? And. And we learn that this father has this little girl. We learn a little bit later that she's 12 years old. So she's, she's kind of right on this edge of becoming a woman, of becoming, and you, you, you feel all the potential that's lost when a kid is sick or when, it, when, it, when a child dies. And that's the way that, that, that Jarius approaches Jesus, not as the synagogue leader, but as a desperate father. A father willing to pay any price to see his daughter well, chase any, any lead to try anything, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? What can I do to make my daughter well? What can I do to save her life? And, and it's interesting that Jesus, uh, that Jairus comes to Jesus because the synagogue we already know is, is, is on the outs with Jesus, right? They don't see Jesus as, as good. They see him as, as a heretic. They, they, they don't recognize his teaching, and so you know for Jairus to come and throw himself at the feet of Jesus. What's he doing? 
I mean, he's turning his back on his community, on his, his peers, on his, I mean, he's given up everything for the hope that maybe Jesus can heal his daughter. He's laying down his pride, his friendships, maybe even lose his job, maybe lose his place in the community. And uh, there, there is something about this desperate place that, 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 don't get me wrong, but I wish that for all of you. Maybe you've been there. Uh, I, I don't want that you would suffer, but, but, but there's something about that, that point you find yourself that, that is such a great position of need that, that when you're in this desperate, needy place, you discover that there is no other source of hope or help than Jesus Christ. Have you been in that place? You know what I'm talking about? When you discover that place, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how painful, when you discover that place that, that you desperately need Christ, that, that Jesus is the only answer, that God is the only source of rescue or hope, that, that place, even though I know it's painful and hurtful, that place is ultimately for your good. Are you, are you old enough to understand that? I love what Barclay said. He said, the very first step of Christian life is to become aware that we cannot be anything other than indebted to God. And Jesus hears the, the cry of not just a synagogue leader, but he hears the cry of a desperate father. And, and the story shifts into rescue mission mode. If you can imagine, everything from this point on hinges on Jesus getting to Jairus' daughter on time, right? Can you imagine how anxious he would be? Not only is Jairus not with his daughter, but he's trying to bring her help. He's trying to bring her hope. Uh, can, can you see him kind of hurrying Jesus along? You know what I'm saying? Like ushering him, dragging him. Jesus, would you, you're walking quickly. Would you mind jogging? Would you? Here's a cart. I'll pull you in it. I'll run. You just sit there. You, do you get the, the anxiousness that is in this story? We've got to go. We, we've got to go. We can't wait. Time is running out. Literally every second counts, right? His daughter's life was slipping away. We've got to get there as quickly as possible. And that's when this desperate father's story is interrupted. Look what it says next. In the very next verse, it says, Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years. Here's that center story, right? We got the first part. Now we're in the center. We, we moved into a different story. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the very fringe of his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, are you crazy? <laughs> Look at this crowd pressing around you. you. How can you ask, who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. 
Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell uh, to his knees in front of him and, and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So in the middle of a super anxious father rescue mission story, we have the story of an unclean woman, a, a, a woman who's suffering from a hemorrhage. She's suffering from bleeding. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of ironic things that you can see in the story that she's been suffering from this bleeding for how many years? 12 years, and Jairus' daughter, we'll find out in a few minutes, is how old? 12 years old. So there's, there's these connections. This is an embarrassing problem. Can you see that? <laughs> Uh, probably why uh, she attempts a, a, a stealth healing instead of just marching up into the middle of the crowd and saying, Jesus, guess what? I've been bleeding for 12, you know, like, let's, let's, she, she, she opts for a kind of a discreet kind of healing. And you get, uh, even from this story, Mark tells us that, that she's tried literally everything, Right? Uh, she is, she's paid any price, tried every doctor, uh, and, and apparently doctors were expensive back then also um, because it says that, that she got no better. In fact, she got worse, and now she's broke. Um, there's this great Jewish saying. I don't know if we have any doctors here today. Um, there's this great Jewish saying that says, camel drivers are most of them proper folk. Sailors are most of them saintly, and the best of phys physicians is destined for Gehenna, which is code for hell. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know if you've ever, ever been in that place, but she's gone through all of this effort. She's used all of her wealth. She's exhausted every resource, and she's actually worse off than she was before. Because not only is she sick, but, but being sick, especially with this kind of bleeding, with this kind of hemorrhage, it makes her unclean. Uh, now, we'd have to go back through Leviticus and some Old Testament law to understand this completely. But, but basically, to be unclean would be uh, almost to be like a leper. She would have been exiled from the community. All right, are you with me? The synagogue is the center of the Jewish community and life and connection and God and worship. Jairus lives in the center of that community. Where does this woman live? As far away as, she can, as they can keep her, right? She is completely outside of the community. She's an outcast. She is alone. And, and as someone who's suffering from this hemorrhage, she can never make herself clean. She can never go through the ritual cleansing process. So she's shut off from God. She's shut off from the temple. She's shut off from worship to God. And she's shut off from everyone that she knows. And she's been locked out for 12 years. This unclean woman is the exact opposite of Jairus. Okay. Jairus is wealthy, but she's broke. Jairus is prestigious, and she's impoverished. Jairus is the very center, is at the very center of community and life, and she's outcast. And the, and the contrast is striking. The only thing they have in common is desperation. For them both, 
Jesus is their last and only hope. Now, while this episode is happening, Jesus does this incredible work, right, with, with this woman suffering from, from this, this hemorrhage. Uh, while this is happening, what is Jairus doing? Right? You think Jairus has any patience for this woman, this broke, impoverished, completely outside the community woman. Like, like he is saying, Jesus, what are you doing? We got to go. Look at the clock. We got to get to my daughter. We, we got to get there. Like he cannot see, like you, you just know he cannot see this as anything but an utter waste of critical, precious time. He cannot help but see this woman as anything but an interruption. You guys like being interrupted? I hate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the one that gets me maybe the most is um, get all the kids packed in the car, all the stuff in there. We have the, you know, the blankets and the, and the sippy cups and the water and the, all this kind of stuff. Get packed in the car. We're, we're going in the car, and you get in the car, finally get everyone in, in their seats, buckled in, ready to go. The, the kids' music is playing that I hate. It's super annoying, but we're playing the kids' music. You know, we're trying to make it. We got this little snacks. We got everything is in place, and we get in the car, and my worst nightmare is from the back seat comes... I have to go to the bathroom. Because I hate that. Because no, we're, we got an eight-hour trip. We can't stop. I'm trying to go. I hate being interrupted. And yet in Mark especially, we, just, we see Jesus being interrupted time and time and time, again, there was a couple a story we did a couple of weeks ago about uh, some friends that lowered their friend down through a roof, actually cut a hole in a roof and lowered Jesus in the middle of a teaching in somebody's house, right? And here comes this interruption. They cut a hole in a roof. Mark even says that the disciples and Jesus don't even have time to eat. Have you ever been interrupted? You just sit down to dinner? Do you like that? Guys, I know you do not like that. I know you do not. Your wife is in there going, oh, honey, that's you right there. And yet, I love, do you see what Jesus does in the midst of this, like, incredible interruption? I love that Jesus insists on personal contact with the woman. She tries to stealth healing, and it works, right? I mean, she gets healed, and she knows it. Even she realizes it in her body. And Jesus could have just kept going. He could have just kept walking. You know, he could have just kept kind of going on his way. But he does something amazing. He stops. He says, who touched me? Jairus is tapping him on the shoulder. No, we can't stop. We got to keep going. Even the disciples are saying, this is a ridiculous question. And he stops and he finds this woman. And I mean, this is, this is an, an incredible scene you have this incredibly anxious train that's driving in one direction on this emergency mission that's, that's time sensitive. And Jesus stops the whole thing to see her, to notice her, to prioritize her.
Isn't that amazing? I love uh, Henry Nowen has this great quote about interruptions. He says, you know, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. I think one of the great tests of our Christian faith is embodied in the question, are you interruptible? Or is this you? I think I have this cartoon. Is that how you've been walking through your day, through your schedule, through your, you know, we we get kind of in this mode. um, uh, When we get interrupted, we, we... We curse and we pout and we kick things. You know, we get angry. Is your life so full that you have no time for anything outside of your plan and your purpose? And this is not in my schedule. When did you become so important that you no longer have time for others? How many of you is this symbolic of your Christian faith? I have time for my I have time for my quiet time, I make time for my prayer time, I make time for my Bible study time. But I, I can't be interrupted with, with the needs of my neighbor or or my, my coworker. When did we become so important that we no longer have time for others? I think as Christians, we, we've got to follow the example of Jesus. Not, not only is he interrupted all the time and, and sees this interruption as, as important, sees it as good, uh, but Jesus is always interrupting people, right? He's interrupting them with the gospel. He's, he's walking into their life, into their busyness, into their anxiety, into their fear, into their, their, their anxiousness. He walks straight into it. I think all Christians should vigorously, we should be fighting for margins, intentionally clearing schedules to make room for the mission and purpose of God. The divine interruptions where our lives intersect with others. Let me ask you, do you is there room in your schedule for others? Is there room in your schedule for, for the Holy Spirit to move or bring someone to you? If you look back, have you just see, do you just see a trail of missed opportunities? And I love that, that what Jesus speaks into this woman's life, like, who is, who is she? I'm stopping everything. The train stops. Let's find this woman. Let's, let's identify her. Let's draw her out. And then do you see the words that he speaks to this woman? It's not like he gives her a whole sermon. You know, they don't spend a day together. But when he finds this woman, she falls at his feet. She's been healed, but she hasn't been saved yet. She falls on her knees in front of him, just like Jairus did. She tells him what, what, what she has done. And in verse 34, Jesus speaks these words, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Uh, I, I know the translation says go in peace, but what, God, what Jesus speaks to this woman is shalom. Shalom. You know that word? 
That word isn't just peace. That word is that 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 word is kind of eternal peace. That word is eternal salvation. Uh, and, and the language it uses of your faith has made you well. It's it, it's there's this weird play on words that happens in Mark because when she touches the the Greek word uh, when she touches his robe she's healed. But the word that Jesus says when he says your faith has made you well it it doesn't mean healed. It means saved. Are you with me? Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Shalom. Into this world. I mean, for 12 years, she spent every penny. She suffered. And Jesus makes time in the midst of everything. And his message and his word to her is shalom. Man. That's awesome. What if we took that as our job? To the interruptions that come the next time your schedule crashes, instead of getting angry and pouting and cursing, and what if we just spoke shalom, peace into those moments, a kind of lasting peace that can only come from God? Would that be a Christian witness that we could be proud of? Would that be a Christian witness that would change things in our world? Yeah. Let's keep going. In verses 35 and 36, we see, while he was speaking shalom, while Jesus speaking shalom, peace to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. As Jesus is speaking to this woman, Jairus' worst fears are realized, right? Not only is he not with his daughter at the moment of her death, but the hope he was bringing to her has come too late. And and so in this great moment, I I love how Mark does this. You have the intersection, the collision of every human emotion, right? Because the woman who has now uh, been healed, what kind of emotions is she feeling? (laughs) Relief and joy and happiness. Now she was outside, but now she's inside and, and everything she wanted, she gets to have again. She gets to have life again. And right next to her is Jarius. And what's Jarius feeling? The complete opposite, right? His heart is broken and Jesus speaks to Jarius and he tells him, don't be afraid, just have faith like her. See how that works? The same thing he just said to her, hey, your faith has saved you. Jarius says, you see that kind of faith? Don't be afraid, have faith. Then let's read the last of the story. So you see how that story kind of bracket right in the middle of this other story? We're going to finish the Jerry story now. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let them go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Like 
Jewish funerals, man, they, they did it a big and right. There's all this kind of reading. There was, there was this whole like ritual thing you had to do. You had to hire flute players. I don't know if any of you are a flute player, but somehow flutes are, are tied into mourning. So whenever you heard flutes, it was a sign of mourning. Um, when I hear a flute, it makes me want to mourn. I don't know. Um, um, uh, but you would also have a, a professional mourners that would come. And you would actually hire them to help mourn and wail. And there was this whole process about ripping your clothes and not eating and fasting and not leaving your house. I mean, it was a whole big process. And when Jesus gets there, this whole thing is in full swing. And he goes inside and asks, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now, they can tell the difference, right? They're not stupid. Uh, this is almost something like you would tell your kids, like you're driving down the interstate and your kid sees an animal laying on the side of the road, you know, saying, oh, honey, that's not dead. It's just asleep. You know, like that's, you know, it, it's this kind of ridiculous statement that Jesus makes. Hey, why are you, why are you guys so upset? She's just asleep. And the crowd, what's the crowd do in response? They kind of break out. They're professional mourners, but they can't even, this is such a ridiculous comment, says they laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And I love this. In Mark, Jesus is so personal, so close, right? Holding her hand, he said to her, um, uh, it's uh, the, the language in, uh, he, he speaks Aramaic, and Mark records it in Aramaic, which is kind of like it's his hometown language, kind of like uh, we would talk about Southerners speak different than Northerners. Uh, he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And then just in time for Halloween, right? And the girl who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around, walking dead, right? And they were, here's those words again, overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And he, then he told them to give her something to eat, uh, some way of showing that she's not a ghost because ghosts don't eat. What you are to see is that for Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, remember the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? For Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, death has no more power than a deep sleep. And it is no more difficult for God to call you out of death than it is for him to just wake you from sleep. So, Pretty cool story, huh? Right? See how they bracket together and add meaning to each other? Now, the way Mark positions all these different stories, these stories intersected within stories, in the middle of all of these stories, sandwiched together, you are intended to see, right? We got brackets of stories on stories on stories. In the middle of all of these stories, you are intended to see your own story. Filled with, with all the different parts of your life, your, your needs, your distress, your, 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 your desire for community, even, even interruptions. 
And at the climax of this story, at the climax of your story, at the very center of these stories is the need for faith in Jesus Christ. And so again, the question the disciples asked in the boat after he calms the storm, who is this man? That becomes our question. Who is Jesus? How would you respond? How would you answer that question? Is he the one who even now today can bring healing into hospital rooms? And, and is he the one who can cause this, this great collision of where once there was even, even Jairus' daughter, after she wakes up and she walks around and they feed her, and she walks out of that room where she's just with the disciples and Jesus and her mother and father, she walks out of that room into a room filled with professional mourners. What happens? Mourning into laughter, right? Sorrow into joy. Jesus can walk into your story and, and create this incredible new life. He can help you face down every fear and care you have. And this morning, Jesus is calling to you as he called to that little 12-year-old girl, Talitha Kum. He's calling you Too many Christians are asleep. And he is calling you to arise from sleep. To trust in him. To have faith in him. So in just a moment, we're going to celebrate a time of communion. We have three different tables set up and the elements are there. Uh, the, the, the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The bread represents his broken body. And you get to have this moment where your story intersects with his. Do you see how that works? His story and your story are combined in this moment when you commune with him. And so maybe like Jarius did or the unclean woman, maybe it's a time for you to just fall on your knees and say, God, I need you. I need you. I'm desperate. I don't have any. I've tried everything else. I've tried to do it all myself, but Father God, I need you. And allow God to speak words of blessing and encouragement. Allow God to call you up from sleep to life. Let me say a prayer for us. Father God, I thank you so much for this day, for, for your words, for the power of your words, for, for the teaching, for the example you give us. Father God, we remember your son, Jesus Christ, in, in, in the ways that he taught and the ways that he lived are so compelling and, and, and passionate. And, and God, so many times we've fallen short of that. But God, forgive us our sins and help us to draw closer to you. Help us even now as we, we enter into this time of communion to remember the sacrifice of your son. Let us remember not just his death, but his life. And so that we may live that same way. God, call us up out of our, 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 our lethargy and sleep and laziness, but to enter into this Christian life, to, to see others around us, to see the world around us, not as, not as a distraction or as an interruption, but as our mission, as our purpose. And Father God, the only way we're going to achieve this is if you do some great work in us. So God, we come and we lay ourselves at your feet. We ask for your, your healing mercy. We ask for you to speak words of life into us. And Father God, as we take this communion, we, we enter into that kind of life.
together. So bless us, God. Help us share in this communion. Help us to share in your son, Jesus Christ, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but his life. We love you, Father, and in your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says. So I'm going to dismiss you.